Hello, and welcome to Network Collective. Today, we're going to dive into being a value-added reseller and working with one. So cut your POs, finish up your build of materials, and get ready for the VAR show. Joining us for Network Collective to talk about VARs, we have with us today, Zach Miller. Zach, would you introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm glad to be here. I'm Zach Miller right now. I'm a managing architect at Core BTS. Uh, prior to that, I started at the age of 12 in IT. So as you can tell from looking at me, that was two years ago. Uh, so I have a <laughs> lot of experience. Uh, but no, honestly, I've been working in, uh, in enterprise IT for the last uh, nine years. So I'm glad to be joining and look forward to this show. All right. And Warren Jackson, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. I'm Warren Jackson. I'm a network engineer for Worldwide Technology. I have been uh, in internet working now for 15 years. I've been in IT for 20. And uh, I've been doing computers probably about the same age as him, except I look a little older now, as you can see. So, uh, <laughs> But uh, I, I'm really excited about the opportunity to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So let's start off with a really simple question. Um, what are some reasons customers use Avar? Yeah, I think uh, from from my aspect and my experience when I was working in enterprise IT, the reason we use VARs, there was really two breakdowns that I looked at it from. Is One, I was looking for what I used to call a quote filler. And the idea is I need somebody to turn around quotes quickly for me because I looked at the part numbers myself. Um, and I, I think it's difficult because that, that really wasn't a, a VAR when I looked at it. It was it was using a, a VAR kind of company, but it wasn't value added. I needed somebody also to help me do designs, help me do the research, help me almost be my R&D arm. Um, so when I was doing that, I looked at it, at those VARs and I was using medium-sized VARs at that point in time to do that because I was in a medium-sized organization. <laughs> and uh, when I tried to use large uh, VARs, they, they just didn't give me the attention I thought I, would, I, I should or would deserve with the business I was looking at. So uh, it, it was tough because there was a lot of different <laughs> options to choose from. And there's the, you know, I was the small fish in a big pond is how I felt. Um, so with, with that, I, I didn't get the attention I deserved, I felt, and I kept switching VARs, but then that broke my relationship with them. And, and I found out that I went through a lot very quickly and I never established a good relationship or a good partner that I trusted. And I think that's really key when we look at VARs is, is establishing that relationship or that, that partnership or that trust mechanism. And uh, you have to work through it and find the right one for you. So Zach, what were you looking for when you said that, you know, you weren't, you didn't get what you felt you deserved and you, you went to a different VAR and then a different VAR. What, what exactly were you looking for from them? Yeah. I mean, from, from my aspect, when I was dealing with it is I, I need somebody to come out, like I said, be my R and D. Mm -hmm. um, I, I wanted them to understand my network and come to me with suggestions of what was coming and what was future proofing and working with those larger VARs, obviously my, my line of business, I was spending maybe a hundred to 200,000 a year in it so it wasn't enough for them to dedicate that mm -hmm. individual to me. Okay. And I, I just didn't feel like I was getting the attention. Mm -hmm. And so you said right. you found a balance there in, in kind of like a midsize. And so I, the reason why I point that out is because you kind of brought up some differentiators, right? You have, you have VARs that are quote fillers versus ones that are, you know, that provide that value added, you know, service, whether that be services or R and D as you put it, or, you know, attention, whatever, whatever that means or what you need. But then you also mentioned the size of the VAR can matter. Um, and so that seems like, that seems like a thing uh, as well. So I think that's interesting. Just pointing that out. 
So the value add uh, in the context of a VAR, a value added reseller, is that consultative uh, element uh, and the time investment? Is that what you guys are thinking? Yeah, I, I think that uh, initially, and I can only speak for, for my company, but initially professional services looked was looked at as an incentive or an add-on. You know, uh, we, we talk about, you know, quote fillers, you mm-hmm. know. We're going to sell you equipment, and if you buy your equipment from us, then we'll give you, say, X amount of time with an expert or someone who, who has a senior uh, skill set in networking, for instance. And yeah. uh, but what's happening now is that we're seeing more of a shift, especially with the larger VARs. Is now the services are, are, are kind of catching up to to hardware sales, and you know I, I think that you're going to see that balance shift to where services you know outsell hardware because. Mm-hmm. You know, as we know, with the shifts in the industry and, you know, moving, moving to more of an SDN environment where, where there's a lot more programming skills and those types of things that are going to be required, you're going to see that, that, that what used to just be an add-on is now the primary product. And yeah, so, I, so go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, well, I was just going to say, I've, um, I've both been a small VAR and then I've worked in enterprises where we've used VARs. And, and I think that there's a huge difference um, in how, uh, in the quality of the VAR experience you get, depending on how you look at that. And I think some customers behave in ways that maybe sabotage that relationship or they don't, um, they don't do everything they can to get the most value out of their value-added reseller. So what are some things customers can do to really make the most of their VAR in that relationship? So, I mean, they're expensive. Um, what, what can they do to make the most of that investment? Oh, I thought you were going to start off with what have customers done to sabotage the relationship? That would have been a lot of fun <laughs> to flesh that out. I, had a, I got a list I can go, go with here. <laughs> I, man, I, I, I see, I think the thing I see most is just uh, either a misunderstanding about what a VAR can do or um, suspicion. And so the, you know, I think, I think a lot of times we look at, at, you know, sales and say, well, the sales guy is, you you can't trust the sales guy, right? Well, that's sometimes true. It's not always true, but I mean, one of the things you have to do, right, is you have to understand the motivations. We're going to keep coming back to that theme, at least in the things that I talk about is understanding the motivations of the people who are involved. Mm -hmm. Um, But the other side of it is, is you need to understand, you know, why you would need them in the first place. And I think a lot of customers don't necessarily fully grasp that. And I think Zach kind of hit on that uh, early on because there, you might be a big organization where you don't need a lot of engineering support. And so the right type of VAR for you might be the quote filler, right? If you've got fantastic engineers on staff and you're just looking for someone to sell you gear and you can't buy it directly, fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's the right type of place. Sure. A, lot, a lot of places only need a hand, right? They've got engineers on staff, but they just kind of need someone to point them in the right direction. Right? They don't need someone to do all the work, but someone to point them in the right direction. And I think what, what happens is when you get a misalignment between what the customer needs and what that particular VAR provides, you have this experience where it's like, uh, I'm not getting what I expected. And therefore, you know, the VAR is kind of not delivering whatever and ends up being bad overall delivery. So I think you know, there's, there's some investment on the customer side that has to happen to, uh, to make sure that you know what you're getting into and, and you're, you're finding the right type of partner to work with you based off of what your environment's like. And in a perfect world, that should all be spelled out in the SAO, right? And I say in a perfect world, you know, <laughs> because- uh, not, not necessarily. I mean, I mean, yeah. SAO, I mean, a SAO is a very service 
uh, mm-hmm. delivery thing. And so, yep. yes, right. the clearer the sow is, and again, you know, uh, spelling that out before service engagement helps make sure that expectations are met. But there's more to that than the VAR. Mm-hmm. There's, there's the whole experience before an engineer ends up on site. So, you know, pre-sales engagement that comes out and, and has a conversation with you about where the technology is going. The account managers, how they operate. Um, how that VAR is going to treat you as a customer. Are you are you nothing to them because they're used to dealing with multi-billion dollar corporations or mm-hmm. are, are you in the right fold, right? Like in the right size of company that this VAR deals with them regularly, knows how to, yeah. to work with you. There's so much more than just specifically the service delivery, um, but that, that's a component of it for sure. Yeah, and I think you hit the, the, the key word is expectations. And time and time again, those expectations, again, need to drive that relationship. We, we, you know, if you're looking to create a, a good relationship with a VAR and have a, a partner you can trust and work with and, and build a solution set together, you need to have those expectations. A lot of times in, in my current role as a managing architect, I'm full pre-sales. So what, what I have to deal with is the expectation of the customer and a lot of times the expectation of the account manager or the sales arm of the organization saying, right. we need to do, rip out this, this bill of materials or this statement of work in two days. And that doesn't give me a lot of time to ask questions back and forth, build a rapport, build a relationship with that customer. So if you're, if you're looking for something very aggressive, expect that in return. You know, you're, you're not going to get something that's invested. You're going to get that cookie cutter statement of work or that cookie cutter bomb in return. If you have a good trusted relationship with that person, they come back and ask you questions and it takes them a week or two weeks. It, that's, that's them taking their time and due diligence to really try to represent you as much as possible. Mm-hmm. So we talked, so we talked about suspicion. I just want to bring this back up, right? Um, generally I found that I, I, so I, I've worked for, you know, I worked for VAR for three years, three years today, actually, exactly oh, on the dot. Yeah. Look at that. My, yeah. Um, and before that, I spent over a decade in enterprise. So like, you know, looking at my experience from the enterprise side, I find it funny that like some of the places that I worked were very bad about expressing those expectations, right? Like there's a, a component of communication, just like any other. And uh, the other theme I mentioned, one theme is is uh, earlier, but uh, the this theme is is completely about communicating what you need. Or so the idea is this idea that we're going to build this relationship and this relationship is just like any other relationship. If I don't tell you what I need and I'm not clear about it, or the VAR approaches it in some way that doesn't communicate clearly what um, they're planning on doing or, or what their motivations are, you're going to end up with a lot of, you know, misconnections there. And that's a, that's a tough way to build a relationship. So sure. the idea is that you're like, you know, Zach said, you know, even a customer that comes in and demands something quickly I say demand, that sounds like a bad word. That's not what I meant. Um, if someone expects something to be delivered quickly, that's okay. They just have to know what the consequence of that is. And then it would be our job to explain to them if we haven't built that relationship. We can do that for you, but the expectation yeah. is this. Yeah. Yeah. And the communication, it all comes down to communication. And we talk about the pre-sales that was mentioned earlier. Uh, if the pre-sales, uh, if, if the account team, when they come in and they, they make the initial presentation or, the, or, or go in and gather, do, gather requirements, if they don't match up skill sets or match up hardware, all the components, if they're not matched up correctly with, with the requirements, then, then that's, that's a problem right there. And then, again, you know, as, as, uh, as Jordan mentioned, if we're, if we're not matching up with expectations – then it's the same, it's the same thing. And, and, and that sets the tone. And so what happens then is if you get an implementation engineer that comes in and he thinks he's bringing one, you know, one group of things into the, into the organization and, and he gets there and it, what they want is completely different Then immediately right off the bat, 
trust is already taking a hit. And, yeah. and that, and that guy is operating at a deficit. Does anyone, so, else, does anyone else feel like we're like talking about like a relationship helpline here? <laughs> so you I, know I, what I was, it, I was funny. Thinking, it, it's sorry, funny, but I think it's absolutely true because we're sitting here, we're talking, you know, we're talking about expectations and communication. And I mean, like, I mean, you could translate this from the VAR, you know, enterprise relationship to, you know, to someone who's dating. But I, I think, I think the same things are true, right? In that, you know, all of this comes down to the fact that everyone's happy so long as everyone gets what they're looking for, right? And, and no one's going to be able to deliver that unless it's communicated, right? None of us are mind readers. And so there are really great engagements that happen with VARs if that line of communication is open. And maybe that should be the primary focus, right? When you, when you start engaging with a new VAR is to figure out, is this someone that I can talk to? <laughs> Is this someone well, that, and not only that, that I can but, uh, relate with? Exactly, but it's it's it just like relationships. It's an old, it's still old fashioned. They expect the var to buy lunch. Uh, they they expect <laughs> the var to get the tab, uh, the var. So, uh, yeah. you know, some things never change, right? Some things never change. And I think there's a third party that we di- we didn't even mention yet, and that's the manufacturer. So when we when we talk about hmm. vars. We, we have this relationship between a customer and a VAR, but then we also have this, this person back here, this manufacturer that the VAR is representing on behalf of, but they also have their own kind of agenda to this, to this relationship as well. Um, so, you know, I think it's important when we talk to, you know, Phil, Phil mentioned the sabotaging of this, uh, and it sounds very negative, but the idea is if you're having conversations with the VAR and then you turn around and have those same exact conversations with the manufacturer <laughs> and you want to compare results, that's a lot of times where negativity gets brought out in that relationship. Um, you know, in, in my experience, it works a lot better if you bring the manufacturer and the VAR to the same table and have that conversation in an open forum, because then they can both go back and forth about that instead of comparing solutions together. I don't know what you guys' experience are with that, but I just, I feel that it's a, it's, it's a very interesting way of going about it. Always try to do that. I always try to, whether I was a, in a pre-sales or post-sales role or in one of those hybrid roles, always tried to bring uh, some folks from, from our end, from the VAR side, obviously the AM and the project manager, which we haven't talked about, and I want to get to that. Um, and then, you know, if there was a pre-sales person, whatever, but definitely bring like the Cisco rep, you know, or the VMware rep, somebody, uh, or the EMC rep at the time. So uh, that way we're really supporting each other and, and um, you know, correcting each other along the way. Uh, and it really, it wraps the customer in that blanket of comfort. Like, okay, these guys know what they're doing. We're in good hands. And, and that's something that I really think that, uh, see, I'm in an enterprise now for the past couple of years and we don't really use VARs. Um, but I do remember being on the VAR side, we always had this idea of we're selling our ecosystem. We're selling our system. We're selling our, uh, everything that we are as a company is at their disposal. It's not just billable hours of this engineer and his ability to, to crank out uh, code or, or, you know, uh, config, you know? No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And uh, for instance, you know, we, that's something that we always is sold is, is, Hey, we've got a, we've got a team of engineers, not only that can, that can answer questions, but you know, if you need something tested, you know, we have a place we can do that. You mm-hmm. know, you need something lapped up. You need something, uh, you need us to come up with the uh, validation of your design. You know, we can do, you know, lab as a service is a, is a big thing that, that VARs are latching onto now. Hmm. Uh, okay. So, uh, you know, I know that, uh, you know, my current engagement right now that's that is that is something that that they use and, it, and it's used a lot it's very valuable so 
Well, and I think, so Phil brought up things customers can do to sabotage the relationship with their VAR. And, and <laughs> I think Yvonne, Yvonne, really no, no, Yvonne, that was you. That <laughs> you, you brought it up while we were recording. So see, it's on. Oh, is that okay? okay. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> For the listener, you brought it up, but that's okay. No, I did. I actually put that line item in the show notes. So I take full responsibility for that. Um, but, uh, so I have seen customers do things like they'll go to their VAR and say, we want to hire you for an engagement for this amount of time. And when we're done, I want you to give me security, for example. Um, that's, that's like completely the wrong question. You, it, I think customers sometimes want to delegate responsibility to VARs that the VAR can't possibly do because they don't understand the organization. They don't understand the, understand the mission of the organization. They don't understand the vision. And mm, you can't yeah. have somebody come in on a short-term, six-month, year, even 18-month engagement and, and, like, deliver you a security practice. That, that's, you know, or make sure you're going to be secure for a certain period of time. And, and I'm picking on security because that one's easy um, but but they do it in all kinds of uh, different verticals in the IT stack. Um, I think that's one thing that uh, that customers do that that really put their bar in a position where they just can't win. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Zach. Yeah, I was just going to say, and and that's the, the compounding on that is the idea of doing like a bid process for VARs. Every time there's a project, I'm just going to bid it out, and whoever comes back with the best response. Well, you know, when, when a VAR responds to that bid, they're only responding to what you put in that RFP. And that RFP is a finite document. And we know that True. We, we know all IT departments are organic and growing at their own pace and with their all little fun little fungus growing in there somewhere. And you're not going <laughs> to find that in an RFP. Um, not in my lawn. Yeah, yeah. So You mean, you the, know, bar, you know, you mean the RFP doesn't spell out where all the skeletons are buried? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe that's a better way than fungus. I don't know. I, but uh, but the, but the idea is, you know, when when we go through this whole RFP process and a VAR has to respond to that, it's very tricky. And mm-hmm. then you step into it and you want to do this engagement, as Yvonne was saying, and <laughs> you're you're stuck to this statement of work because we're we're going just for this, and then all of a sudden you start getting scope creep. And we all oh, yeah. love the word scope creep because mm-hmm. uh, it happens in every project that we do because we can't find every skeleton that's there. So, you know, the bid process, I think really kills VARs more than helps your relationship. Or, you know, I understand from a cost perspective of getting the lowest cost, but is, is it really the money that you're driving for? Or do you want somebody that's going to come and actually get it, get, get done what you want done? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's why relationship is so important because uh, in order for a VAR or any, any services, IT services company to come in and help, a, you know, help an enterprise IT company or, or any, of any size, they have to know a little bit about the environment. They've got to have some knowledge because otherwise they're not going to be able to, to they're not going to be able to frame a solution that's going to fit that, that organization. You're right. And then one of the reasons the, the federal government is, is a perfect example because you mentioned RFPs, almost everything they do goes out to RFP, especially if it's a major, any type of a major IT uh, infrastructure replacement or upgrade or anything like that. And, you know, most of those companies may or may not, a lot of them may or may not have any idea what the network itself looks like. It, yeah, that's true. They, they're bidding on a, on a generic set of, of parameters that, uh, that, 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 are, that are thrown in that RFP. And so they are, they're playing catch up from day one. And from day one, scope, we talk about scope creep. Scope creep is built into the RFP. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
also, also to this, so there's a couple of points here. So the, the first one is <clears throat> there's some homework that a, that a company has to do. Uh, like you cannot, you cannot just buy something by throwing money at it. I, like regardless of what the project is, I can't throw money at it and get a core switch upgrade. I can't throw money at it and get security. I can't throw money at it and get insert product X here. The reality is, is that you, it, unless it's a completely greenfield environment, there's going to be some level of integration that has to happen, which is mm-hmm. knowledge that your employees have. And so this expectation that I can that I can just pay, and this this might be more leadership than engineering, but the idea that I can just you know sign this statement of work and that's it, and we can just set this guy off in the corner and let him go, and and he's going to be able to make this happen. He might be able to, but probably not the way you want it to, right? You're gonna the more that you can provide as context for that engagement, the better it's going to be. The other thing that's that's interesting dynamic as well, and I don't I don't know how widely it's it's used, but this idea of you know. Uh, fixed fee project versus a time and materials project. And this comes back to my point about motivations. Um, a, lot of, a lot of companies like this idea of fixed fee because it, it seems like it limits the scope of what that, what that bill is going to be at the end. And I, and I understand that motivation. Like I understand not wanting to be surprised by a bill that's larger than what you were doing. And it kind of puts the responsibility on the VAR to make that, to make that happen. But mm-hmm. the problem, the problem in a fixed fee engagement is the entire motivation. Now let's just take the goodness of every engineer out of it, right? <laughs> and just say what the raw motivation is. And the raw motivation is to be out of that project as quickly as possible. Because if I quoted you 40 hours and I can get it done in 20, well, guess what? We just made a lot of money. You're getting a bonus. That, right. Right. That, and, and so, and so yeah. you have to understand that motivation. Not that every engineer is that way. But that, that is a risk that you're taking when you ask for a fixed fee project, that you're going to get as little work as possible to meet the scope and anything else is going to cost you extra. Now, when you do time and materials the project, there's still a risk on that one. The other problem is that someone milks it, right? This is really four hours of work, but the engineer takes eight and bills for it. You know, like that's, that's a risk too, but I think it's easier to monitor. Like if your engineer is on site or you're working with them, like I'd say that wasn't eight hours worth of work and we can have a conversation about that. But um, it, it, I, I just see this idea of this fixed fee project, like it somehow averts risk and it doesn't. I think I think the risk then becomes hidden. So I just kind of wanted to bring that up since it was kind of in context. So I want to I want to move us along a little bit because uh, we could hang out here forever. But um, <laughs> let's talk about really we could. Um, so sometimes uh, FTE engineers, engineers on staff, um, or technical people may feel threatened by VAR. Um, and, and I think we've seen that. What are some things that both sides can do to improve that? And we'll think about what what can a FTE engineer do to to use the value that a VAR engineer brings? Um, I, I, have I have thoughts on that. One answer here. Tell me what it is that you want to do. Because if I walk in and you tell tell it to me, it shouldn't be this way. But if I go tell your management that that's what you should do, they're going to listen to me. They may not be listening to you, but I've seen it happen a hundred times. <laughs> like we've made this recommendation. We think this is the way to go. Unless I think it's a bad idea. Of course, I'm not going to recommend it then. But if you want to do this thing and, and, and it sounds like it's a good way to go, I can lend weight to that. They paid money for me to be here to be a consultant to your organization. Tell me what it is that you're looking to get done. I might be able to help you get it done. Like, I'm, like I see my relationship as, as being a partner. And, and I, you know, that's, that's kind of how every VAR tries to, to, to position themselves as a partner to a company. But I, I really believe that's true. Like, I keep coming back to the same customers. I don't want to ruin that relationship. I want to make sure that when I leave there that I feel like I've been providing. If you close me and shut me off in a corner, I'm not going to be able to help you very much. I'm only going to be able to do what's in the scope. 
But if you if you have a conversation with me and tell me what it is that you're trying to accomplish, even outside of this project, I might be able to lend a hand in getting those things done, even if they're not in the scope. That I can have a conversation or bring it up, like, "Hey, I see this. Maybe you want it, might want to do this." Um, and it's amazing how often that a consultant's word will be taken after one recommendation where it, uh, a local engineer just gets ignored. And I know that bothers local engineers. It bothered me when I was a uh, on staff engineer like crazy, but it's the truth. It happens. Yeah. I think, I think Jordan, you hit it hugely is the idea that you need to trust that person and tell them what you want because they can get it pushed through because they are bringing out an outside person to look at it with their eyes and they're going to trust them a little bit more than the inside person. Um, but I think the second thing is you got, I, I was that person seven years ago that hated working of ours because I was the arrogant cocky guy that wanted to do everything himself. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I thought it was my job to do this. They Things hired me changed. to do this. I'm yeah. kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, the idea behind it is that they're coming in, use their knowledge, use their skill set. They've been a lot of places you haven't. I remember those nights I was there at, you know, two in the morning because I was trying to fix this bug. I had no idea it was there. And as soon as I called my VAR the next day, they were like, oh yeah, you know, we upgraded to, you know, 6.0 of Nexus. And yeah, there was that bug and you had to reboot your supervisors every, every two minutes or something. And I sat there all night trying to figure it out when that VAR saw it three other times at different places. And they could have stopped me from doing that. That's the experience that I think a VAR can bring to the table because they've seen it other places. It's so hard for you to mock up certain things in your own environment. The VAR can come in and with that, with that level headed experience and be like, don't do that. Don't go to this version. And I see Warren shaking his head. Cause he's been in that same boat. I don't know how many yeah. times. Yeah, uh, just a couple, but, uh, but you know, the biggest thing, you know, you know, when you talk about an engineer, you know, and, and you know, this is my first VAR I've ever worked at. I was, I was like, y'all, I was a staff network engineer for most of my, most of my career. So it was, a, it was definitely a, a, a switch. And uh, the biggest, the biggest recommendation I can make, you know, from the VAR engineer's perspective uh, is when you come in, you know, be humility, you come in, you know, you, you, you're there to help, you're there to, to come alongside them and they brought you in to be part of the team. And you know, they may not realize it when you first get there, but you know, if they want you to come in and, and do something that you may think is, well, that's not exactly what I got hired or brought in here to do, you know, but you do that with a smile on your face and say, Hey, whatever, I'm here to help. You know, and, and if you have that sort of attitude, it kind of takes the, the armor down and, and so to speak, you know, there's not there's not an immediate suspicion that you're coming in there and trying to push them out of their chair. And that's I think that's that's the key to, to building relationships is uh, is coming in and just saying, hey, you know, I'm not I'm not here. to I'm here to, to make you successful. If you're successful, that means that I'm successful. And if they start believing that, then they trust you and then they start letting you do more things. And, you know, it's it's a tough it's a tough lesson to learn. Uh, when you first start doing this, because it's exactly what you feel like, you know, you come in, well, I was told I was here to do this project. Or I was told I was here to do this. And sometimes, you know, I, I get jerked in 25 different directions per day. And this, and, and on this engagement, it's been like that almost everyone I've been on. And, and sometimes I'm asked to do things that are just completely outside of what I was asked to, you know, or my expectation was I was going to be do, able to do so. Yeah. You brought it back. You brought it back to relationships again, right? Uh, this is a, 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 an interpersonal relationship among people, which are by virtue of our craziness as human beings, always difficult. You know, Jordan mentioned dating before, and I don't know what anybody <laughs> else mentioned, but it's true. And just like in, in our professional relationships and personal relationships, there are appropriate boundaries that we have to have. And, uh, I, you know, I have a couple of different stories here that I can recount very quickly. Uh, I, I tease 
project managers or the whole world of the PMO a lot, right? But I do very much value a project manager that I can redirect a customer to. So when I was with VARS, in one instance, you go in and you keep your head down and do a decent job and you, you know, you mind your own business because you're sort of coworkers for three months, but you're sort of not. So I've learned, like Warren said, you know, you stay humble and you keep your head down. You do, you do your thing. You don't necessarily interact with every office joke that's going on. And maybe you're in a spare cube. I don't bring pictures of my kids in. Um, right. I don't, maybe you do that, but, uh, <laughs> a little bit of scope creep is one thing because that's a way to build that relationship. So, oh, you need help, you know, is something completely unrelated exactly. to the project. I'm putting in, a, uh, you know, some Nexus 7Ks, 5Ks, 2Ks and building something like that out. And over there, they're having an issue with Active Directory. I'm like, you know, I, I can fix that in about a minute. You help them, it's 15 minutes. What did it cost you? Nothing, you know, and it builds that relationship. And then you get the relationship that Jordan has where they call you back. But uh, something that, then so that was an example of one where uh, there was uh, the customer who kept getting in touch with the account manager and project manager because they, their expectations weren't met. And so when I sort of, sort of changed my perspective to be more like that, where I'm going to just let those little things go and, and do whatever I can to go above and beyond within reason, uh, that sort of changed the relationship. And they did ask for me to come back. And what I took from that in future projects, different projects now, was uh, right off the bat, at the end of work days where I hit deliverables, I would email uh, everybody, the team, the PM, uh, the whoever lead at the at the the customer site, and then the engineer or engineers that I was working with directly, and I would highlight this is the these are the deliverables that we hit today, and this is what so and so Mr. Customer did really was grateful for that because that got us through. So this is where we're at in the project, and that sort of communication, um, you know, it kind of stroked their ego a little bit, but none of it was false, and I uh, I got so much positive feedback from that, and that's how I from that point forward, uh, that's sort of how I, I handled it with, with my customers. And, uh, and you know, for what it's worth, one of those people called me later on and, and offered me a job. So, um, but yeah, for what it's worth, I think that Warren's right here. It's, it's interpersonal relationships and that's what it's all about. You know, well, this could be a podcast about, you know, law offices or medical practices or whatever. Maybe we're not network engineers and we could be having a very similar conversation, except instead of packets, we're talking about uh, kidneys. Kidneys, yeah. <laughs> Kidneys or that contracts, yeah. <laughs> blood cells. All right, all right, all right. So we've talked a lot about customers. We haven't talked so much about what it's really like to be a VAR. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to hear uh, some of our VAR folks uh, talk about what are some of the big challenges when when you're the VAR, when you're the value-added expert that they hire to come in and solve all their problems uh i'll start this off because jordan and i are on the on the phone or on the call here together and jordan and i have the pleasure of working together and we work in the two very distinct fields of pre-sales and post-sales in our organization so i think one of the biggest struggles that we deal with is that customers expect the pre-sales to come in and architect this whole solution that took us six months to do and then we hand it off to a post-sales engineer to deliver and our internal kickoff call may only be an hour long because Jordan's crazy busy and he's running around. So there's there's a big challenge of between the, the pre-sales and the post-sales as we look at VARs and how do we do that better to, to help the customer out. But there's, a, again, that expectation and that, that relationship where if Jordan doesn't know your environment and I have to relay everything that I've got gathered in the last six months to him, it's going to take a long time for that process to happen. So be patient. Don't ask, can we kick this project off next week? 
and that that you know that guy's going to come in there with like nothing in in his hands. So Jordan, I don't know if you if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, um, there's definitely that component. Uh, pre-sales, post-sales is interesting, right? And I know different places handle it differently. I know that mm-hmm. depending on the size of the VAR, and maybe it's not even the size of the VAR, you know, I think everyone's looking to find that nice balance there. Um, some completely separate it so that you can have specialists, right? The pre-sales person is focused specifically on the pre-sales side of the equation. Post-sales is all about delivery. There's others where like an engineer will get assigned to a customer and do both. Um, pre and post sales. And I think both have pros and cons, right? Like neither one is, is right, which I think is probably the reason why it's split between different bars and how, and how people do it, right? I don't think that there's a perfect answer, but this again comes back to understanding motivations. So when the customer's having conversations with pre-sales, understand who you're talking to, how it's being delivered and set your expectations about what that handoff should look like what the engineer should know coming in. Mm-hmm. And then we, as a far can tell you, okay, that's great. We can do that, but that's going to require X, Y, Z. Right. Uh, no. Cause ultimately we want to make the customer happy. Whatever it is that, whatever it is that you want us to deliver, we're going to work on delivering it the way you want us to deliver, but we need to know what that is. And then we need to tell you, you know, what that's going to entail. And I think that gets missed a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And so that we end up with exactly what Zach said. And that is, you know, I, I have <laughs> an hour's generous, sometimes a half hour, on a call where I look at a statement of work and I say, okay, that looks good. I get to ask about four questions. And next thing you know, I'm showing up at a customer site and we're replacing, you know, catalyst cores with Nexus cores, which can be a rather convoluted, you know, exchange depending on, on what features are in use and all kinds of things like that. So it's one of those, it's one of those, you know, if, if the expectation is to have a really smooth handoff, that should be part of the conversation. Uh, and well, and I can speak, you know, as, as working at a large bar, Jordan, I know that uh, you know, some of the smarter, and I think that would be really a smooth way to go. You know, if you had a guy that did the pre-sales and did the post-sales and all that, like, it's just, I mean, because he, he, he knows exactly what the design is from, from the get-go. And but the toughest challenge is, is when you, when you walk into a, uh, into a uh, project kickoff meeting and, and somebody hands you a, a drawing that, that has no information on it. And that is, that is the high-level design. Yep, <laughs> and uh, and you you you're 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 left to answer. You know, you're writing down twenty questions as quick as you possibly can, and you're going to ask those questions. And you know, it. I actually like this. I mean, and I don't know that everybody could do it. I tell a lot of people who ask me about my job. I I say, well, it, you you have to have a, a ADHD, I think, to really enjoy doing what we do because you're you're literally going from one thing to the next to the next to the next, and you know you you move from one engagement where you're to your point you're upgrading you know uh, catalyst switches to Nexus to the next one where you're doing a, you know you're installing firewalls and doing a VPN mesh and you know the next one you're doing a uh, you're going into a, a WAN design with ASR one case where they're moving from EIGRP to BGP. I mean, it's, right. it's just, it's never ending. So right. this is a pro and a con to me, right? Like it's yeah. a pro because you get to yeah, experience exactly. a lot of stuff, but it's also a con because like, you don't get to settle in. One of my biggest cons in, in being a, a, of our engineer is, is the fact that I don't own anything. Like I came out of over a decade of owning a network. I mean, it was different ones at different companies, but right. it was like, you know, I give this thing care and feeding and I can tell the difference from when I started and when it, it's your baby. When I ended, it's my baby. It's, baby. it's what I'm working on. There is evidence for my effort. And, you know, as a VAR engineer, that doesn't always necessarily happen. I don't always get to see the successful completion. I'm not the one who gets to turn <laughs> off the switch when it's all true. done. Right? Like, I, I get the customer 80, 90% there because that's the difficult part. And then they do the, the manual migration. And, I, okay, I walk out and I never got – there was no – 
you know, triumphant, successful party. We didn't go out and have drinks afterwards. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just none of that that you get in the enterprise world where you get the satisfaction of completion. I think you're bringing up two. You don't go beat your catalyst switches in the parking lot of the baseball bat once you pull them out. Yeah, that would be very <laughs> therapeutic. Uh, office space. That's, yeah, that's right. Uh, so, so I mean, it, you get that, but the flip side of it is, and this is, you know, having worked in, uh, you know, in some really political environments when I was in the government, I can tell you that the best part is, is, is you stay long enough. It's if you ever heard that, that what is this? A fish and get a fish and guests both go bad after what three or four days or something like that. So, <laughs> so you know, you stay at a place long enough to, to to make relationships and everything like that. And if you're fortunate enough, you get to you get to see some things get done. But then, you know, when you start getting tired of the politics, you go somewhere else and experience someone else's politics. It's an interesting component, right? We, we brought up earlier this idea that, you know, if tell me what you want to accomplish and I can help you do that. And, and the reason I think that happens is because I'm getting paid probably four or five times an hour <laughs> what that engineer is who's on site, right? Because they're paying a lot for that service for me to be there. And if you want to play politics, we can play politics over this decision for the next four days and you can pay me for that time if you want. It's up to you. Or we can make this decision and move forward. Right. And I think that people get more inclined with that. So there's a whole lot less politics when all of a sudden the politics cost money. The politics really cost money. So, so yeah, I don't, it's one of the, the biggest perks of being a VAR engineer is I don't deal with corporate politics. You know, I got to say that I hear that and I've experienced that pro. I agree with you. But one of the struggles I had when I was with VARs, except for my, the first VAR that I ever worked with, which was different, that was very regional, um, I really lacked my interpersonal coworker component. I did make sure that I kept, I, that I kept uh, some semblance of distance between me and the customers that I was dealing with. You know, we were friendly, of course, and yes, we took them out to lunch because that's what you do. Um, but there was a, there was a, there was a line. You, you had to be careful. And I really missed that because I didn't interact with, my coworkers that I built, like my family, you know, not, not my home family, but you know, like your work family. And, and I struggled with that for a long time, actually. And I think now, both because of my age, my life situation, my work situation and experience, I could probably deal with that a lot better. I think because I just don't care as much, but <laughs> I don't mean that to be negative. Just, I've become more apathetic over the years. Life yeah. is, you know, you move forward, I pay my mortgage, my kids are happy. And I, you know, so I look at things a little bit differently. Um, but, but that was something that I struggled with. So I do get that, you know, you don't have to deal with that. You're only there for a month or six weeks and you move on after the ASAs are in and humming. But then I'm, you know, I'm never connecting with folks and I'm, you know, living out of my car for the most part, eating McDonald's all the time. Well, Burger King, but you know what I mean? (laughs) But there's, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, It's, it's one of my biggest complaints about being a bar engineer is the fact that I came out of teams. I came out of places where it was me and one other person, me and three other people, me and four other people, whatever that, that, that work this network or this area of the network. Yeah, but. And go ahead. Could you could you get that though if you had a good relationship, like a strategic partnership with a company? I mean, I know some of the things exactly. that you you, you yeah. and I deal with, Jordan. We have a couple customers that I you know I feel like they're coworkers of mine because I've seen them so frequently. Yeah. yeah. So and, and and that's a bit unique where where we're at. Like, but yeah, I have better relationship with with some of my customers than I do with my peers. Right. right. My peers on my team. Like, so I, I talk I, to Yvonne I, more than I talk to the peers on my team. Right. Because I mean, think about the, right. just, just, just the, <laughs> the sheer nature of what we do. Right. Like yeah. you're not sending three of me in from core, right. I'm the yeah. route switch expert when you come in from, from my company. So I, I'm not, 
going with the other route switch expert, who's the person I have most in common with, right? And yeah. so my other peers I see once, twice a year in meetings, you know, I talk to them on the phone sometimes. Uh, and so, yeah, so that, that, that collective relationship um, and as much as Zach is right, that some of my customers, like there was a couple of customers that have repeated engagements and I spent a lot of time with, and I, you know, absolutely value the relationship that's there. There still is a level of guarded, yeah. right? They're a customer. I'm doing this. There is it's, a line. It, have to, there are, it's still a professional relationship. Not that, not that a, a coworker relationship isn't professional. It still is professional, but I it's think, the, I think yeah. the line is somewhat different. You're paying yeah. for me to be here. It makes things a little bit different. There has to be works. some type of boundary, but, but, you know, like I said, I, I have, I've been on this, this engagement I'm on and, uh, you know, it's been a, it's, it's, I've made relationships that I'll probably have the rest of my life. I mean, but you know, I haven't normally been on engagements this long. I think the longest one I did before this one was seven or eight months. Those and, are uh, it wasn't long. the same. So, yep. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so, well, I was going to say there have been a couple things in the show notes that we've tiptoed around because nobody wants to call out their customers, <laughs> and I value that? that from you guys. <laughs> um, but but uh, just about specific things that customers do to make VAR's lives difficult, and I think I'm just going to list them here I know because one. I think it's important for customers to hear that. Um, and uh, and and uh, it's really important for customers to be prepared when they're working with their VAR. I know that the folks I know that are VARs that they show up to do an engagement and the customer's completely unprepared, it's really frustrating. I mean, you're paying them to be there, but you're wasting their time and you're wasting your company's money. So that's kind of a big deal. I have a quick anecdote because this one's rather, well, I'll say relatively fresh. I had a customer who who the, the primary engineer was out sick, right? And that happens, right? Things happen. Things are outside of your control. I was working remotely. So I worked three quarters of the day building a solution, but we needed to test it. And I'm trying to get a hold of this guy and he's just not responding. Right. And so like, this is to me, is part of that prep and planning is we had set this date. I'm sitting here working away at things and now it's time to go, you know, make sure that it does what it needs to do. And I can't get a hold of this guy. Well, the problem in this is that if I had known he was sick, I could have rearranged my schedule. Right. And made sure that he was available so we could complete this work this day. What ended up happening is I found out the next week that he was out sick and now I'm booked for the next couple months. Like all the days on my calendar are full. And now I've got to fit them into the cracks somewhere. Right. And if we, if that communication had happened there, if we had prepared, if we, if we had talked ahead of time, we wouldn't have ended up in this situation. And now all of a sudden it's there. And it's just, it's just a funny anecdote. Um, or I don't know if funny is the right word, but it's just a, a, an anecdote that shows like, you know, like just tell us what's going on. Right. And then be prepared for when we're going to do, do the work, because if you're not, you're going to end up with the worst product. Not because we don't want to deliver it, but because we just can't. There's no way for me to test remotely for this wireless system. That was part of the deal, right? <laughs> like, I, I can't join your wireless network from my house to make sure that it's working. That's part of what you need to do. And so if you can't do that, I need to know that, right? You're talking if, communication. Yeah, it's, it's back to communication. But it's also it's very important. important. Yeah. The idea, I mean, I've showed up to customer sites and they like, didn't know I was showing up. <laughs> I mean, right. it's, on the, it's on the calendar, but they didn't somehow didn't know I was going to be there. Yeah. I have emails in here where it was emailed and they said, yeah, absolutely. We're ready for you. <laughs> and then I walk in there like, Oh, I forgot you were going to be here today. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like, okay. Like how, how am I supposed to help you? If that's the, if that's where we're starting, you know? And again, yeah. we, you know, when we talk yeah. about communications back to, you know, the people, whoever made the decision in the organization to bring the VAR in, you know, has to communicate 
the goals and objectives to yeah. their to the people who you're actually going to be working with. Because I think that sometimes there's a disconnect. And I know we talked about smaller companies. You know, Yvonne touched on this. I think it was on the when we were talking before the show started. But uh, you know, you got a smaller company where the hierarchy is really small. You know, the communication layers are really not that not that far. You know, the the ladder is not that high, right? And, uh, you know, but it's a large corporation. If that decision was made up at a director level or a VP level, that the reasons why that, that contractor is there, may, they may not know, like, and, or they may not even understand what the scope of it is. And yeah. that, that contributes to engineers feeling threatened and not understanding what's going on and misdirection of your VAR. So, uh, yeah, that's an excellent point. So uh, I have, uh, and actually talking about some of the negatives, you guys brought up some positives, but before we go, I would really like for those of you who are VARs or who have been VARs to talk about what are the great things about being a VAR? Like you get a killer job offer from a VAR. What would you tell somebody are the best things about doing VAR work? You get to touch all the new toys. You generally can uh, advance your career quickly because you're always working and getting pulled in a thousand different directions, which is stressful, but you learn in dog years. So, you know, if you're new in your career, yeah, if you're new in your career and you, and you have the energy and the wherewithal, you work five years in a VAR, you learn a, well, a good VAR doing, if you're not doing the same project over and over, you'll learn a lot and it can be a wonderful learning experience and, you know, pretty lucrative. They don't, they don't tend to pay peanuts. That's totally true. And, and I think that's, for me, you know, and I can only speak from my experience, but uh, that's the best part is, is I don't, I, I have, I have technology ADD, ADHD. I don't, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. focus on the same thing, you know, from one engagement to the next. And, and I, and I like the challenge more than anything yeah. else. I like the challenge of going to an organization. We talk about relationships, building the relationships, being able to execute and then become a trusted advisor to that customer. If you can do all those things, then you've really mastered. I mean, those are the things that you have to master to be, you know, really good at what we do. Yep. Yeah, the, the relationship side is important to me. And so when I say that in, in building and establishing that trust and then uh, and then being able to execute for them, I think, you know, Warren kind of just put the, the the point right there is that, you know, I've, I like the challenge of being able to, you know, fix a problem that is difficult to fix or work out a solution, interoperability that may be not the easiest or most straightforward thing to do. And so being that trusted advisor and being able to come in and help, you know, customers do things they wouldn't be able to do on their own. Uh, there's a huge sense of accomplishment in that. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm just a huge social nerd. So, I mean, I just, I love talking to people, but I love talking technology. So, you know, the idea of working for a VAR and be able to daily go to multiple customers, multiple different environments and see what people are doing. I mean, it, it, it amazes me the, the situations I've been in and I'm like, wow, you got that to work or, Oh wow, that's a really good way of doing it. You know, How are you not on fire right now? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I but that. I mean, I every day it is, it is something new and it, it is not that repetitive job. And as you can tell, I'm, I'm a younger individual. So I, I, I don't want to be stuck in a routine. I want to see different things. I want to be exposed to different things and also network. I mean, look at this. I mean, I'm on the network collective right now. This is, this is pretty big for me. I mean, be a 12 year old on the network. Collective. Time. You're time, buddy. Honestly, Zach, this is pretty big for any 14 year old. So I, <laughs> thank you. Child labor laws. Let me, I had to sign a release for me. You know, no, I'm kidding. Um, but if no, I mean, nice, I still will give you his autograph. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, but, but the idea of working for a VAR, it, it is, it's a very exciting area. I mean, there are negatives, but there's negatives to every job. 
Um, you know, there, there are, and it depends on exactly where you are in your life and what you want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I don't have kids. I have a lot of free time and this gives me the ability to be very flexible and, and go around and do what I want to do. You yeah. had a lot of free time. <laughs> yes. I had a lot of free time. Until I got this job, time. It's not going to happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and that chair is awesome. By the way, I have to, I have to plug that on the show too. That the chair, DX racer. Fantastic. Plug yeah. it up. Oh, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought we needed to do an intro just for the chair. Yeah, we, we <laughs> considered it. Yeah. Thank you. All right, guys. Th- thanks a lot. Hopefully we've uh, shed some light for our watchers and listeners on what it's like to work with a VAR and to be a VAR. Um, mm-hmm. Before we close out, I will give Phil an opportunity to just let you know where you can find him online. Hey, I'm Phil Gervasi. You can find me on Twitter at network underscore Phil and my blog at networkphil.com. And Jordan? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at BC Jordo. Uh, and my blog that I write on probably once a year is jordanmartin.net. <laughs> All right. And I'm Yvonne Sharp. You can find me on the blog at esharp.net and on Twitter at Sharp Network. Thanks for joining us for Network Collective. <laughs>